0: God has blessed us in so many ways. It's a blessing to be a part of God's kingdom. It's a blessing to be a part of this church. It's a blessing to be a part of our families. It is a blessing to be a part of the communities that happen even inside of this larger community. It's a blessing from God to be a part of His work in His kingdom. I'm going to uh, read and then let you be seated. We're gonna turn to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five, verse number one and two is where we'll start, but we're actually gonna go through verse 12 in our entire reading. Matthew says, And seeing the multitude... For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would touch our hearts, our minds. Open us, God. Lord, we have gathered here in such a blessed place, and we want you to continue to bless us. But we want to understand what that means, and we want to understand what you're trying to communicate through your word in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to be hearers, help us to be doers, help us to be sharers of your word. In Jesus' name, turn to your neighbor and said, amen. amen. So be it. You may be seated. That's where they want to say amen. Finally. What I would like to do is, uh, in, in this lesson, is share a little bit about how we, in Calvary Tabernacle Young Marrieds, have class on Wednesday night. If you're not already a part of Calvary Tabernacle Young Marrieds, you're 35 and under and been married less than 10 years, shameless plug, come to the class. If you don't like my teaching, don't worry, I only teach a little bit of the time, and you can hear other people teaching there too. It's a good fellowship time it's a great time to connect with the blessings of God in that class we share the same curriculum as we do in here on Sunday mornings and pastor I determined I would never be out preached or taught by you again (laughs) good luck with that he said No, 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 pastor didn't say that. Someone in the audience, someone in the audience. In January, I I taught the curriculum lesson and I thought, man, this is a really great illustration that happens in the curriculum. And so I used the illustration. And when we got here on Sunday morning, pastor thought it was a really great illustration in the curriculum. And so he used the illustration and I turned to my wife and I said, never again. I am changing the way I study these passages because our pastor is absolutely one of the best preachers that I think we've ever experienced in shoe leather. Phenomenal preacher, phenomenal pastor. Love you and your family. Uh, And so what we have, sorry, I didn't mean to catch that. So what we have is Jesus walking with his disciples. In, in Matthew 4, if you go back and read, Matthew 4 actually records the uh, temptation in the desert. It records uh, the, the, the apostle John or the disciple John being put in prison. It records uh, the calling of Peter and Andrew and the miracles, and then Jesus goes viral. And so all of those things actually matter to where we're at because Matthew says, and seeing the multitudes, all of the diseased, all of the sick, all of the people that Jesus had just brought out of their predicament, seeing those people, Jesus went up into a mountain and he sat and he taught his disciples. He opened his mouth and he taught his disciples. Now, in in his time, what we find, in Jesus' time, what we find is that teaching is actually indicated by something. And as a teacher, I love studying these uh, discourses, specifically that Matthew records, and we're gonna talk about just a little front end portion of what Matthew is uh, recording Jesus as saying. And when, when the rabbi sat down, it's, it's important. It means classes in session. If you attend Indiana Bible College, and you come into a class that I'm teaching, you will hear these words that indicate classes in session. The beacon is on. For those of you who wish to sign in that way, you may do so. For those of you who prefer another method of making sure you're in attendance, see me after class and we will get you signed in. Why do I do that every single time I walk into the classroom? Because it's important for me as teacher to indicate to them as students, listen up, this is going to be important. That's what Jesus is doing when he sits down in the mountain. What I'm about to say is actually really, really important. So listen up, disciples. And he's up in a mountain. He sits down, his disciples come unto him, and he starts teaching them. He starts teaching them with an eye on the multitudes, understanding that there are former diseased people in the crowd. Understanding that there are people who used to be bound by sickness. Understanding that there are people who used to be tormented by devils. Understanding that there are former people who used to be paralyzed. Understanding that there are former people who used to be lunatic. They're out there, but Jesus is teaching them, the disciples, If we're not careful, we will take the Beatitudes and the two verses that happen in black lettering and we'll we'll skip right over them and go directly to the red letters of Scripture and we'll say, this is how you are a Christian. The Beatitudes are not how we are Christian. They are how we behave because we are Christian. They are how we act because we are followers of Christ. They are how we behave and think and treat each other because we are, not in order to be, right? So because we are Christian, we're gonna listen to these things, but Jesus does that with an eye toward the multitude because other sheep have I also that you don't know about. Every time you look into scripture, you find Jesus saying that I have things going on that you don't know about. Every time we see Jesus talking to uh, his his children, even in the Old Testament, He makes provision not just for the Jews to sacrifice, but for the strangers that are with the Jews during the time of sacrifice. What is he saying? He's saying, do not change your culture just because someone else that is not a part of that is with you. Don't behave a certain way here and then change there. Why? Because we act this way because we are Christian. If my family is around and they don't believe, we act this way. If my neighborhood is around and we're shooting off fireworks at the 4th of July, we act this way because we are Christian. We speak away because we are Christian. We think away because we are Christian, but we never take our eyes off of the multitude because if we take our eyes off the multitude, then we forget that they can, like us, who were not a people, be translated into the kingdom of his light. Those that used to be, Uh, those that used to be diseased can be healed. Those that used to be lost can be found. Those that used to be on their way to a devil's hell can turn their lives around and be pointed in the direction of the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1.13. How do we do that? Well, we do it through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that's the entry point. And once we get into the entry point, then we start looking at what it means and how we behave. Jesus taught them on a, on a mountain. I think it's absolutely phenomenal that Jesus knew just where to go In order for the multitudes to sneak in on a conversation with the disciples. As a parent, I oftentimes will uh, have certain conversations in front of my kids, preparing them for where we are going. Right? We get in the car. Where are we going to go eat, Leah? I don't know. Where do you want to go eat? Well, I was thinking we could go to Yummy Bowl or we could go to Chick-fil-A or we could go here, or we could go there. And in the background, I start hearing, ooh, uh, ooh, Yummy Bowl, Yummy Bowl, Yummy, no, we're not going to Yummy Bowl. Well, then why'd you say it? Because I'm preparing them. Because life is hard. And sometimes you don't get what you want. But what we see here is Jesus giving an overture, a, a beginning a a foretaste of what he's about to expound on. In in music, the overture has a a preview of what is to follow. One, uh, One writer about overture said that it is designed to prepare the audience for the plot of the play. In Matthew, there are five discourses that he records. This is the first of them. So far, uh, we've, heard, we've heard a couple of one-liners uh, from Jesus. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We got a few of those things in there. Right. But in 172 words that we're about to look at, Jesus sets up 2,538 words. It's an overture. It's a preparation for where we're going. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they're going to be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they'll get mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called the children of God. We can't come in here and sing, I child of God oh oh, oh. we can't come in here and sing that and then go out there and sow discord we have to be all the time we have to be here we have to be there we have to behave a certain way because we are Christian and then had Jesus just said all that I'd have been like "Mm, yes but he doesn't blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he reaches back to the very first blessing that he gave. And he said, blessed are they which uh, are uh, poor in spirit. And he grabs that final line, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he kind of copies and pastes it down here. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he was like, everything is they, they, they. By the way, in the Greek, you do, and I don't know Greek, I, I researched this out. In the Greek, you don't need the the perpetual repeating of they. Jesus does that on purpose so that you can know that this is about everybody. He does that so that we can understand in our own minds that there's this contrast that happens between uh, maybe us and them, but for sure there's a contrast that happens between poor in spirit, kingdom of heaven, mourn, comfort, and he, all the way he walks this down and we get to, to kind of see the picture that Jesus is going to be painting. And uh, then he says, blessed are they which are persecuted. And then he says to the disciples, Blessed are ye. Anytime you see the word Y-E in the King James, it's a plural, and it's like saying blessed are y'all. Blessed, or if you're from Ohio, pastor, blessed are (laughs) you-ins. Blessed are you guys. When are we blessed? When men revile you. I like the kingdom of heaven and the comforted and the filled. I like that. But when I'm reviled, uh, yeah. there are some key words in this. You've already picked up on one of them. Blessed. 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 We see a key word. Persecuted. I've alluded to it. We don't like that. But here's another key word. Heaven. Right. They. All of these things, when we're reading through scripture, matter deeply to what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples, and Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is trying to communicate to his initial audience, and then even more mind-blowing, to us today. They all matter deeply. How are we blessed? In persecution, in poorness, in mourning, In meekness or gentleness? When we're hungry and when we're thirsty? Not just physically hungry and thirsty, but when we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. How are we blessed? When we can't get enough holiness. How are we blessed? When we are so desperate for what God is doing that nothing else matters, that programs don't matter. That's when we're blessed. When nothing else matters and it's like, if I could just be, In your presence, if I could just feel your spirit in my life when I wake up and when I lay down and when I sit at the lunch table and when I stand at the water cooler, if I can just feel your spirit all day, that's when we are blessed. But blessing oftentimes is misconfused. It's like, what does blessing mean? Because we have an understanding of what blessing is. Just before the lesson in the pre-service meeting, Brother Lopez said, I'm excited to hear you talk about this because I feel like this is something through our friendship that we have talked about a lot. And my wife and I are so blessed. We could run down the list. My favorite thing to tell students who are worrying like, how am I gonna do this and how am I gonna do that? And mom and dad are saying that I really need to get a good job and mom and dad are saying that I really need to go to secular school and mom and dad are saying, and, and I know ministry is like this calling thing, but how do you pay the bills in ministry? That's a real question that people face. I, I, I feel like God is calling me out into this unknown thing. And, and so that's not just a student. That's a us too. That's a ye, that's a y'all. How do we follow God in those moments? Know that God keeps good books. Yes, he does. Know that God is not going to ask something of you that he does not already have prepared a replacement that is better. Know that God, when he looks at you and says, will you give me your mourning, already has joy in store to pour out on your life. Know that when Jesus asks for your bitterness, he already has healing and virtue coming for your life. But if we're holding on to this, then we can't receive that. So how how do we reconcile this blessed thing Blessed really is is about favor, yes, but it's deeper than that. It's a position. It's it's a posture of God toward us. It's it's a disposition. It's a, man, I really like that guy. How do we get God to say, man, I really like that guy? I want to know. Cattle on a thousand hills, yes. But it's not just about cattle on a thousand hills, right? That's my American coming out. Lord, forgive me for that. I don't wanna wanna only serve you for the material blessings that you can give, God, because if I'm poor in spirit, I need to have the hope that the kingdom of heaven belongs to me because he's given it to me because I'm trusting in him. So this blessing is is as much about uh, the the here and now as it is the there and then. The kingdom of God is already not yet. God has already defeated Satan. God has already healed disease. God has already defeated the powers of darkness, but what we need to understand is that we're not yet coming to its fullness. John already saw the seventh angel in Revelation 11 open the vial and pour out, and we already see what happens, but it's not yet happened, okay? So it's already not yet. So, you might be poor in spirit now, but God already has the kingdom. You might mourn now, but God already has comfort. You might be gentle now, but God already has the earth. You might be hungering and thirsting now, but God already has the sustenance that you need in order to be filled. You might wonder, how am I being merciful and nothing is happening in, in return for me? God already has given you mercy. Yes. So the hope of future glory is actually what this blessedness is about because if we only serve God for the opportunity let's just pick a random one the opportunity to see God i'm only going to be pure in heart if i can see God we've missed it we have missed it but when i say god i want to see you i want to see you and we can we understand that we can only see God through pureness of heart, then we have to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. If, if we want to be this side of the they, right? If we want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, then we act this way, in order. Why? Because it's a, it's a covenant contract. It's, it's not a moral code. It's a messianic authority. Say it again. It's not a moral code that we live by. The Beatitudes that, that Matthew records Jesus as saying is, is not a do this, and I know I've alluded to it, and and, and here's the reason. It's just a principle that works. Right? It's just a principle that works, which is why it might seem a little confusing that if you want to see God, you're pure in heart. But when you're pure in heart, it really doesn't matter if you see God or not because you're pure in heart. If you want the blessings of God in your life, you hunger and you thirst after righteousness and he's, he's got it for you. So we've got all those things and then we understand this persecution thing. It's just so confusing to me Why good things or bad things happen to good people and why bad things or good things happen to bad people. Why why is sister so-and-so who's been faithful suffering? Maybe it's persecution on the job. Maybe it's persecution in, in mind or body or spirit. Why is that? I don't understand it, but this is what I know. Matthew told me that I would be blessed. Beyond Matthew, Jesus told me that I would be blessed when men revile me, when men cannot stand me. I'm blessed. Why? Why? Because that's what Jesus said. He actually makes it true by saying it. It was already there, but just the very declaration of Jesus Christ, God manifest in flesh, makes it true for you, and it makes it true for me, and it makes it true for us, and it makes it true for the people who lived before us, and it makes it true for my children, and it makes it true for their children. Because Jesus said it, So what what do we do when men revile us? We understand that we are blessed. What do we do when men persecute us? We understand that we are blessed. What do we do when men shall say all manner of evil against us? Now, here's a key phrase, falsely. We can't always control the perception of our action. We can always control the purity of our heart. You might see something I do or I might see something you do and question what what is what is they thinking? You might see an action that that is made and and say how, how? well, Lord, forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me for for judging and for persecuting and and, and for saying all manner of evil falsely. Now, I love what Jesus does here because he says, blessed are the persecuted in verse 10, for righteousness' sake. So you're doing right and, and society hates right. And so they persecute you. But then in the very next verse, Jesus says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. He makes a huge claim here. Remember we talked about code of conduct versus messianic authority. He says, for my sake. For my sake. And he's saying this to the disciples, don't forget, but everybody out there is hearing him and he, they're understanding that, wow, this guy is claiming some big things. And he does this throughout his, his uh, ministry. It's actually what got him killed. Thank the Lord uh, for that unfortunate event that saved all of us. He didn't deserve it, but he did it. And now we are here today and thank the Lord for that. And he says, he says have a particular frame of mind when, when people start coming against you it'll confuse them. I don't claim to be able to read Jesus's mind in this moment, but this is what it says to me. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Because when you rejoice and when you're exceeding glad, they'll just be like, what on earth? We can't persecute them enough because the more we persecute them, the happier they are. We cannot revile them enough because the more we revile them, the more exceed not even just glad, exceeding glad they become. And so what is that? That is a a confusion, but it's also a testimony. It is a confusion, but it's also a testimony because when I see person A behave a certain way, and person B, do them dirty, and person A, remain the way they are, and person A, continue to faithfully serve, and person A, uh, continue to faithfully worship, and person A, continually faithfully worshiping and honoring God and doing everything, then person B becomes the one that makes me go, that guy what 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 is and suddenly person a is who I want to be like a testimony and why is that testimony important well two reasons I think number one for great is your reward if that was where it ended I'd be okay with that But I get some very specific location of where that reward is. For great is your reward in heaven. For great is your reward in heaven. That means that the things we experience on this earth are not forever. It means that one day we are going to walk on streets of gold and one day we are going to run and not be weary. And one day we are going to be a part of a perpetual worship service to the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world who gave himself a sacrifice so that I could be saved so that my dirty, filthy, wretched person could be delivered from the grip of death and I could be translated into his kingdom of light. Folks, that is a reward that I want to be a part of that is a reward that I want to partake of. That is a reward that I want to spend eternity kneeling before the throne and saying, Lord, you are worthy to receive all glory and honor. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why? Because he has done great things because he has done great things. He was merciful when I didn't deserve mercy. He was faithful when I was unfaithful. He was true and righteous when I was not. And I was, oh, come on somebody. Thank God for his reward that he's offering us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And here's the beauty is that we don't have to wait to get to heaven in order to partake of this. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage, that this can be you right now. I know your tears are falling on your pillow, but you will be comforted. I understand that you don't have enough money in the bank, but I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, so guess what? It's gonna be full for you. I understand that you're being merciful. And so I'm going to extend that mercy. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience that reward because it's here. It's already and not yet. When we get over there, it is going to be so full that we can't even talk about that joy. But when I live in this place. When I wake up in this place, at my house, on a Monday morning, I understand that it is so good to be alive and feel the presence of God. When I sit down in my chair with my coffee and I read the scriptures and I feel his presence, I understand that it is so good to already feel his presence in my life. But it's also... A comfort to know that I am not alone. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. you've got a reward. It's, he's going to be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you, but you're not alone. Not just because God is with you, but because there's a whole host of multitudes of martyrs and saints and members who've gone before that have demonstrated, I understand where you're at. The worst thing that could happen to you and to me in this life in 2023 is that we get this, oh, poor me, nobody's ever experienced what we've gone through. This is the worst time to be alive in history because nobody knows how I'm feeling. So persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you, you are not alone. You've got a body of believers in this congregation. You've got a multitude of witnesses in this. You've got future people that are gonna stand before God and say, I made it. You are not alone. When we get to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, and the seventh angel uh, sounds and, and there's a great voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. Already? Not yet. The kingdoms of this world are become, we might know it and remember it from George Frederick Handel's Messiah. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of his Christ. Right? Right? But when we think about that as more than just a lyric in a song and when we understand that he shall reign. And not just reign, but forever. And not just forever, but forever and ever. Then we can be like the four and twenty elders who slide out of their chair in verse 16 and they worship God and they fall on their faces and they say, We give thanks to thee, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. What are the, what are the beatitudes about? They're about God reigning in your life. Yes, sir. What is Matthew trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us that if we put him on the throne of this, the throne of our heart, if we make Christ Lord of all, then he's responsible for the rest. And if we're faithful to him, he's faithful to us, because it's already and not yet. So we have the choice today. Do we want to be a part of this already not yet kingdom? Not, not because God bought you a car, not because God bought you a house, but in the persecution, Lord, I want to serve you. When society turns its back Lord, I'm not turning my back because God has done so much for me and for my family that I'm going to join with the course of the ages and say the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of Christ and Lord you reign. I was sitting right up here. In closing, I was sitting right up here at Draylon Young's concert. He recorded here in this room. And he's singing along, and I don't even remember the lyrics to the part before this. We we do it here sometimes. And the music kind of does that music interlude thing, and it... Everybody knows what I'm talking about? Okay. So it's that... The guitar kind of cuts through the mix. I'm like, I recognize that. And then the voices join in and he says, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let me, let me give you the context. I gave you the context of Matthew's Discourse, let me give you the context of what I'm about to tell you. I had been at residency for a week. I had been away from my family for a week. I was beat. I was tired, my body hurt. I hadn't slept in my bed. I had sat in classrooms for eight hours a day and listened to people lecture me about this and about that. And I just wanted to be at home, but I felt like I should be here. And so I sat there and when they started singing and he shall reign forever, something clicked inside of me. I did not intentionally do it, but I slid off of my seat up there in the balcony down to the front and I went, yes, because he shall reign forever over our sickness he shall reign over our poverty. He shall reign over our disease. He shall reign over our situation. He shall reign forever. When we are sad, he reigns. When we are glad, he reigns. When we are favored, he reigns. When we are persecuted, he reigns forever. Can we submit ourselves to his sovereignty right now? Lord, you reign forever. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory, God. And I understand that one day I'll walk those streets of golden. One day I'll see those gates of pearl. And I got some questions for some people that I believe are already there. But God, I want to understand that right now. Right here, Jesus, that you reign in my life. That you reign in my spirit, that you reign in my home, that you reign over my attitude when they cut me off, that you reign over my spirit when I start speaking about the waitress or waiter, that you reign over everything I do, God. Lord, help me to have a sensitivity to that spirit, a sensitivity to your spirit, prompting me and leading and guiding me in Jesus name.